Praise indeed. Friends, if you would remain standing out of love for God's Word and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. If you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's on page 859. And if you've been with us over the past few weeks, you know that we have been working our way through the Gospel book of Luke. And uh, after a brief break last week where we looked at Acts chapter 6 and, and the calling for uh, godly officers, today we're going to be resuming our, our study of Luke when we look in chapter 4 and we see the testing of Jesus in the wilderness. And this is a very important text for us, even though it may be very familiar to us, it's very important for us to slow down and reflect on exactly what God would have us know about our Lord Jesus. So here now from the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up, And showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And so ends the reading of God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, indeed this is Your Word. And Father, we admit that uh, many of us know this story in this Gospel uh, very well. And uh, sometimes, Father, it's easy for us to, to check out our, our minds or our hearts as we approach a familiar text, but we pray that you would help us to slow down and meditate on this very story. Help us to understand who Christ is better. Help us to understand how he, is, he, how he knows us. And we know this can't happen necessarily by, by my clever words or preparation. It can only happen by the power of your Spirit, and so we ask for your Spirit to work among us this morning. Help me to speak clearly and boldly as I ought, and we pray that you would be glorified in all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, please be seated. So I would say that my boys and I are general sports fans, but we don't, uh, we don't get an opportunity to go to many sports games in person. But this, uh, about a month ago, Uh, My boys and I had an opportunity to go to Houston to see the Houston Rockets play the Golden State Warriors in a basketball game. 
Now, I know that we are in, here in Dallas, a football town, but probably many of us know something about the Golden State Warriors, led by their star, Steph Curry, because they've been so very good over the past several years. In fact, the night before the game in Houston, the Warriors were here in Dallas playing our Mavericks, and despite the Mavericks season, they were holding their own for the majority of the game until, as is all too often, Steph Curry got the ball outside the three-point line in the waning seconds of the game, shot and swish. Warriors won. And as, as happens all too often, the camera focused on Steph just grinning ear to ear, skipping around the, the court because he had just won the game for his team. Well, the next day, um, as my boys and I were waiting for the game to start, we were wandering around Houston uh, just trying to kill some time when we saw a, a group of people lined up behind a building, and uh, it seemed a bit odd, and I was wondering what it was when one of my boys said, well, do you think that's where the Warriors are staying? That's their hotel, and those people are waiting to, to see them when they come out, and Sure enough, that's exactly what it was. We walked up and we joined this group, and here were a group of people had posters and jerseys and things like that waiting for people to come out. So we waited, and just a couple minutes later, out walks this very same Steph Curry and walks over to this people yelling at him for autographs. And as he did, I noticed an immediate change in how I perceived this individual. I've always seen him as this entertaining superstar, larger than life, who wins NBA championships for his team. And in that moment, he went from superstar to just a guy. He was just a guy. Uh, not too much taller than me. Uh, he wasn't grinning ear to ear with some smug look like because he had just won the, t the, the game for his team, but he, he, was, he was tired. And he seemed kind of resigned or annoyed at what he had to do, just doing his duty to sign autographs for people that really didn't even care about him as a person. They were just there to make money off a signed poster or jersey. But what, what had always be, been just an entertaining character in a story became something real and genuine in that very moment. And friends, I think when we go to this passage in Luke chapter 4, I think there's a, a similar distance that we have from our Lord Jesus, or at least that we feel. I mean, we were very careful about our theology of the Lord Jesus, and rightfully so. I mean, we, we declare that he is God incarnate. He is the champion of our salvation. He is a man who really and truly worked miracles. And yet, um, when we think about him actually being tempted... It seems a little surreal, like it like it's, couldn't really be possible. I mean, kids, doesn't sometimes it feel like Jesus is, our, is like a Superman character, and uh, anything that the devil might do would just be like bullets bouncing off of his chest, like it's just not really real. And I think that even may be somewhat of the, the instigation for something like this, you can't, unless you're in the front, you probably can't see it. But this is the superhero's Bible that my, my boys obtained at some point in their life. <laughs> Caleb, if you need this back, you can give it to you after. And we think of Jesus almost as like this superhero that's impervious to the realities that we're experienced with. But I think that's, that's, a, that's a mistake that we make. When we, when we think about our Lord Jesus. And I think, I think there's something, there's a reason why we do that. 
I think um, we tend to minimize hu his humanity. Uh, we, we, uh, we don't like the fact that there's somebody who was just like us and was actually able to withstand the temptations, the same temptations that we face. And, um, and yet, but Luke puts this passage in there, I think, not to show us a, a Jesus who is impervious to sin, but one who is really tempted, really underwent the, the same things that we did, and yet in the midst of that, he still didn't sin. He was still faithful to us. And he is, he, he is shown to be a son who is truly obedient, even in the midst of true temptation, even when and where the, we are not. Now you may know this, that uh, this particular uh, temptation story is actually in all three of the, what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In the book of Mark, it's very short, uh, just a two-verse summary, but Matthew and Luke are, are pretty close. Um, and and when, it, when we have a story like this that's there three times in Scripture, like Pastor Jordan has taught us to do, we have to stop and ask, well, why, why is this so important to us? Why, why is God insisting to tell us this story three times? And um, if you've been paying attention over the past few weeks, I hope you've noticed that the Gospel writer Luke has been giving us this um, ongoing story about how God, I'm sorry, the Lord Jesus is both Son of God and Son of Man. That it starts even in the birth narrative, the, the Christmas story, how He is conceived in the, the physical human womb of the Virgin Mary, and yet he's conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's both God and man. And then we saw it when he was 12 years old and in the temple where he said, I must be in my father's house, the almighty God's house, declaring himself to be son. But he was also obedient to his earthly parents, Joseph and Mary. And then we saw it two weeks ago in the baptism narrative where the, the almighty God said, this is my son. And that was immediately followed by Luke giving us his human ancestry, going all the way back to Adam, the son of God. And so we see these, these, twins, these twin strands, like uh, uh, two parallel realities, son of God and son of man, intertwined and interconnected, like, like a double helix where, that, that, that can't be separated. And, and yet he's not just a son. Luke has been clear to point out that he is an obedient son. And he contrasts him to Adam, who was not obedient, and Israel, a son who was not obedient. And so then we come to this passage here where he is tested in the wilderness. And you may have noticed that I keep saying tested in the wilderness rather than tempted in the wilderness. And I think that's a very important point. He is tempted in this passage, but the temptations are serving a broader purpose of testing this obedient son. Because Luke has been making these bold claims that he is perfect, and he is obedient, he is holy. And those are bold claims that have got to be tested. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Kids, if you were to build a, a tower out of Legos or Lincoln Logs or blocks or whatever you build things out of these days, and you told your, your family, I have just built this perfectly strong tower that will never be toppled, would your brothers and sisters and, or your dad... Just say, oh, okay, yeah, that's good. 
No, the very first thing that we would do is we'd go start attacking it. We'd try to show you that it's not perfect. We'd try to test that claim. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage that we'll see, is that the Almighty God is, is allowing His Son to be tested so that all creation will know that this Son truly is an obedient Son. We had already seen Adam, who was born perfect, without sin. And in the midst of that, he fell. He, he was tempted and he fell. And then we saw Israel who declared to the Lord, everything that you have said we will do. And then immediately broke those, those commands of the Lord. And, and now, once again, we have this third son who God is saying, yeah, this is my, my perfect and obedient son. And so it's like we're waiting for proof that this is really true. And proof that comes through this testing. And so uh, that's why we have this particular passage. And you see that it's intentional because the passage starts and it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. This isn't just some happenstance where he happens to wander into the desert aimlessly and he's tempted. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. And God, the Holy Spirit, leads him to this place where he will be tested. And so we come to the first temptation. He's, he's been in the wilderness for 40 days, and it says, starting in verse 2, and he ate nothing during those days. And when they were over, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. We come to this temptation, and it seems pretty straightforward. Jesus was... There for 40 days, he didn't eat anything, and he got hungry. The devil said, eat this bread. Jesus says no, because he's not even going to give the devil a foothold. He's just not going to do anything that he says. But is that all that's really going on there? If we meditate on this, I think there's a number of questions that start to come to the, the fore. The first is, why in the world wasn't he eating? Why in the world wasn't he eating? And then secondly... Why in the world would the devil tempt him to eat? Why would, he, why would he tell him, go ahead and turn this stone into bread and eat it? And then finally, why does, why does Jesus refuse? Well, and also, you know, Jesus, the devil says, you know, if you're the Son of God, do this. What, what does being the Son of God have anything to do with turning this stone into bread? Well, <clears throat> I think by way of Answer, we need to start with, why in the world wasn't he eating? And I think initially we would probably say, well, you know, he was in the wilderness and there just wasn't any food there. But is that, is that really true? I mean, we, neither Luke nor Matthew tell us which wilderness this is, but I think it's probably safe to assume this is the Judean wilderness. And there, there are things to eat there. There is some plant life. And there are wild animals he could have killed and eaten. And remember, he was, he was led there by the Spirit. Are we really to believe that he just kind of carelessly wandered into the wilderness without bringing anything intentionally? I mean, he could have brought a camel, a donkey, you know, laden with food. That seems odd. Well, maybe he was fasting. Maybe he was preparing his heart for this incredible ministry that he would have. And so he wanted to fast and, and spend time focusing on what he had ahead for, you know, preparing his heart and soul and even body for the ministry that he had ahead of him. 
And that may be somewhat true. But I think to really understand why he wasn't eating, we have to look at his response. Because we get into we get a little bit into what was going on in Jesus' mind as he was there. And he he responds and he says, um, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Which is an odd response to us, but if you if we look at the context of the passage that he is quoting, it makes a lot more sense. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And if you'd like, you can turn in your Bibles to that. I'm going to read just a few passages. Because this helps us to understand what he was indeed thinking. This is Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and following. If you remember, Deuteronomy came um, through the mouth of Moses to the people of Israel at the end of their wilderness wanderings for 40 years. And Moses is reminding them of everything that God had done for them when they were in the wilderness. And then he says this, and he says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did your father know, fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So Moses is saying to the Israelites, your God lets you hunger because he wanted to test what was in your heart. He want, something about that hungering is going to cause uh, your chief concerns to come to your heart. Are you... Is your, your stomach your God, or is your God your God? And so what it, it, it looks like when, when Jesus responds to that, that's what's going on in his mind. And he is, he is remembering this, and he's saying, I was led into this wilderness to be tested, to know what is in my heart, and I will remain faithful to that. I will, he is not eating anything because he is willingly submitting himself to the Lord's testing that he might be humbled, as Moses said. And it's in the context of that that the devil comes to him and he says, yeah, well, I, I know that you're hungry. God's making you hungry. You don't need to be hungry. You're the Son of God. Why do you need to, why do you need to be tested? Just, I mean, you've got the power to turn this stone into bread. Just be done with this silly little test. And, it, uh, he, and, and Jesus knows that this testing is to show what is in his heart, whether it, he is dependent upon his Father for everything. And you see what the devil's doing? The devil is striking at that dependence. And he's saying, no, you're the Son of God. You can, you can make choices for yourself. You can be independent. You can act independently. The Father wants you to be tested. You don't need that. Just choose for yourself and take care of yourself. This isn't the first time the devil tempted somebody with something similar to that, was it? If you remember Adam in the garden, he had a full stomach. And he was able to eat from any tree in the garden except for one. And and yet, the devil tempted him. And he chose to eat the the food that was forbidden. And then in the wilderness, as Moses testified, they, they hungered. And it wasn't too long after they are out of Egypt and their stomachs started to rumble. 
And their hearts started to grumble and they said, oh, that we wish that we were back in Egypt. Because then at least we had food. And it's in the context of that. Now Jesus is tested and He willingly does that. And friends, God, God is our Father too. Because if we have put our faith in Christ, and we know this, then, our, then God has been pleased to adopt us as His sons and daughters. And He promises to love and care for and provide all of our needs. And yet, not always when we want them. Right? Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes He lets us, our faith be tested so that we can demonstrate that we have true faith and true dependence on Him to provide. And He wants to develop patience and perseverance in the midst of trials. But we don't want to wait. We don't want to be tested, do we? We don't, we don't want that. We don't necessarily care about perseverance. We just want everything to be satisfied now. And it's in the midst of that that we have to look at our Lord Jesus and see how He was there for 40 days. And for 40 days, He willingly allowed the Father to let Him be tested to prove what was in His heart. In the midst of His human suffering, He chooses to submit to the Father's testing. And He says, man does not live by bread alone. He learns the very lesson, the very lesson that Moses tells the Israelites that they were to learn from their hungering. So let me ask you, how has the, the Lord been testing your faith? How has He allowed certain things in your life to go on? That you, you're crying out for deliverance and salvation, and yet they're just not coming. Is it physical suffering? Is it spiritual suffering? If we are the Lord's people, Lord's child, He will allow us to be tested so that our faith would grow, so that we would develop that perseverance. With, remember, 1 Peter said that the tested genuineness of our faith is proved genuine, and it's more valuable than gold. So when, when you're undergoing this, how do you respond? Do you grumble saying, this needs to stop, or else I'm going to take matters into my own hands? Or do you willingly submit to the Father's tender care, knowing that He knows best for you. It's important that we look at Jesus because it's the bread of life, the very bread of life, who is willing to endure hunger so that we could feast on Him forever. So unsuccessful with the first temptation, the devil tries another tact. And in verse 5 it says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world from a moment of time. And he said, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. So some, some translations, depending upon what you're reading, some translations say that the devil took him up to a high place, or maybe up on a high mountain. Uh, the Greek literally says that he took him up. There are no high mountains in this general vicinity where he could look out and see multiple kingdoms. What I think may be going on is the devil in a moment of time, as it says, is giving him a glimpse of all the kingdoms of the earth over all the span of time. 
and, and allowing Jesus to ponder about every human authority that has ever been established. And he's saying, if you want this, if you want this authority, I have this authority, I can give it to whomever I want. And if you want it, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. Um, so does Jesus see not just the Roman Empire, but the, the Byzantine Empire, the, the Ottoman Empire, the Aztecs, the, the British, Ch- the Ch- Chinese, even, even uh, Nazi Germany, even the United States, even, even nations to come. And, and, he's, and the devil's saying, I'll give you authority over all these things. So consider what the ask is. Consider what the offer is. He's, he's offering to give him authority over all human history. Does Jesus get a glimpse of all the oppression and injustice that's going to happen over the years? Does he, does, he, does he think about how his own very people, the church, are going to suffer in intense and severe ways? And does he, does he pause for just a second to think, man, if I have all this authority, I can end all that. I can end all the oppression, all the injustice. I can do it now. No holocaust, no world wars, no slavery, no civil wars, no killing, slaughtering of unborn babies, no sexual abuse. I can end all of it because I will get authority now and I can take care of it now. But it's not just the authority. He says... Verse 6, to you I will give all this authority and their glory. The devil's offering not just that he's going to be authoritative of all this, but that he's going to receive the glory. I mean, think of it. In our day and age, that every nation, tribe, and tongue would bow the knee to Jesus and give him praise and glory right here, right now. And think of Jesus' condition. He had been in heaven with His Father as the God of the universe receiving all praise and glory and He came where? To Nazareth. Disgusting, poor Nazareth. And He was living as a servant. And here He had an opportunity to change all that in an instant. And what's more, this is exactly what God had promised to Him. Jesus no no doubt knew that he was the the son of David who would sit on his throne forever. No doubt he knew that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that one day every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the devil's offering it right here, right now with a catch. One catch. If you will worship me, the devil says, I'll give it to you right now. It's like he's saying, yes, yes, I know your father has promised you all these things. Eventually, eventually it's coming. But do you really want to have to endure everything that you're going to have to endure in order to get there? Do you really want to have to see your people suffer? Do you really want to have to go to the cross? I will give it to you right now. All you got to do is acknowledge that you're getting it from me. That's all you got to do. And friends, I think there's probably a reality that there are many of us here who are somewhat disappointed that Jesus turned down this offer. Aren't there? Because there's absolutely nothing enjoyable or praiseworthy about the oppression and injustice and suffering that happens in this world. And we certainly would love to see Christ's kingdom 
on earth right here, right now. Wouldn't we? And God's promised us those things. He's promised us peace and security and justice. And he seems, it seems to be out of our grasp. And we have to continue to, to endure the sufferings of this life. And we have to continue to wait. We would, we would have the vengeance that God promises against our enemies now. We would have that now. We would, we would see the Lord's kingdom here and now. And we're tempted to try to get to those ends no matter what it takes. No matter what we have to do to see it right here and right now. And yeah, look at what Jesus does. He defers. He says, our God says, you shall worship the Lord your God and Him only shall you serve. He has given the opportunity to have everything that was promised to him in a single instance. And he decides, not apart from my Father's gracious gift. I will not take what has not been given to me from my Father. I will not bow the knee to anyone other than my Heavenly Father. He, the King of Kings, chooses, the King of Glory remains despised as a despised servant, waiting Waiting so that we can share in His glory. So friends, what, what promises has, has God de- declared to you that you just don't see yet? What are, what, are, what are those promises that you are awfully impatient to get? And you are waiting for the Lord to provide them. And you are tempted to do anything you can to try to grab those 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 promises for you right now just remember that if we take the the promise the thing that is promised and we we focus on that rather than the giver of the promise we make an idol out of that very thing that we want it is only when it comes from the hand of our good and loving and gracious god that it is a good thing and that's what jesus shows us as he is he willingly Waits. We are, we are to pursue in obedience to what the Lord commands, even while we submit to His goodness and His love and His perfect timing. So, having failed a second time, the devil tries a third and final tact. So, it says in verse 9, And he, the devil, took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on your hands they will bear you up, lest you strike a foot against a stone. And Jesus answers him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Jesus had been in the wilderness for 40 days, and He had been vulnerable in the wilderness. This was a place where there were robbers and bandits, People who would attack people. You remember the, the, the story of the road to Jericho and the man who was beaten in the wilderness. Jesus was subjected to that. There were wild animals there. And so Jesus in the wilderness relied and, and trusted in God's tender care. And, and, and the devil kind of takes advantage of that trust, doesn't he? And he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. And we don't know exactly where that pinnacle of the temple is, but we think that it was on the side of the temple that is by the, what's called the Kidron Valley. So it would have been a very steep drop-off. In, in essence, it would have been extremely dangerous for Jesus to jump from there. 
And the devil does something interesting, doesn't he? He quotes Scripture. Jesus has been using Scripture. So the devil says, okay, well, you want, you want to talk Scripture? I'll talk Scripture. Your God says he will command his angels concerning you. He will guard you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike their foot against the stone. That, that's what it says in Psalm 91. Don't you remember Jesus? Don't you remember? So go ahead and jump. He'll, he'll catch you. He'll catch you. Isn't that what his word says? And he appeals to the Father's loving concern and care for his son. And he asks Jesus to prove it. He asks him to prove it. And it's interesting that he picks the temple because the temple was considered to be God's dwelling place on earth. And so it's like, G- like the devil is saying, well, tell you what, we'll go to the place where, where God, your Father, is the closest. Right in the temple. Surely if, he ju- if you jump, he's going to be right there. He's going to hear you yell if you jump off. And he's going to send his angels in- and save you. There's, there's no reason to even doubt. Friends, he's promised to, t- to, to uh, protect us as well, hasn't he? I mean, that psalm that we read for the call of worship, that's Psalm 91. It's calling, referring to his people that he will be our sure refuge and strength. And, and yet, do we, we, do we take advantage of that, that promise? Do we try to get our God to prove that? I mean, we, every week when we do the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Lord, lead us not into, into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we also know in Scripture that it says that He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, but when we are tempted, He will provide a way to stand up under it. But do we, do we take advantage of that? Do we test the Lord? We, we, do, we, do we really flee from evil like we're commanded to do? Or do we tiptoe? To, to try to find where that line is. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I can, I can be alone with my boyfriend or my girlfriend. I'm strong enough. And, you know, the Lord will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. And uh, so I'll, I'll trust him. Or, yeah, I know I'm one of, the, one of God's children, and he's going to watch over me. So, you know, yeah, I'll have one more drink before I hit the road. It'll be fine. It's all going to work out in the end. Or maybe it's just the opposite, where we actually want the Lord to prove himself before we actually pursue obedience. Like, we know we're intended to share the hope that we have in Christ and and be prepared to share the gospel. But, you know, Lord, I'll pray that first you bring somebody to me asking me to do it, and then then I'll be obedient. I, I don't really feel so comfortable going out on my own to do it or pursuing somebody else. I'm just not comfortable. You, you show me that you're really talking to me first, and then, and then I'll do it. We want some visible or tangible confirmation that the Lord is actually talking to us before we actually believe it. But the sovereign God of the universe will not be tested. He will not be tested. The devil is tempting Jesus to have the Father prove His love to His Son, and Jesus says, It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus, even Jesus, the very Son of God, is required like us to walk by faith and not by sight. Even Jesus is choosing to let His faith be rooted and grounded in the promises of God and not 
by the things that he sees. You know, he is, it's not our prerogative as children of the King of Kings to demand that our God prove his love to us. Uh, as one commentator put it, he said, the demanding of miraculous protection, even uh, when it is not needed, is not faith or loyalty. It is sin. And friends, if you are asking God to prove Himself to you before you submit to Him in loving obedience, that is sin. It is something that you need to repent of. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Friends, our Father has proven His love to us by this very person who is submitting to His will even the Lord Jesus Christ. This one who was vulnerable in the wilderness was willing to be vulnerable on the cross that He bore for you and for me where the outpoured wrath of God was poured out on Him without measure because of He was bearing your sins there. Jesus, the rock of our refuge, was willingly, He willingly endured that outpoured wrath that was due you so that we could endure the outpoured love and grace of our Heavenly Father. Friends, what more proof could we have from our God than what Jesus said in John chapter 6? He said, I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. And this, friends, is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up to the last day. Beloved, He's talking about you. And He's talking about me. This obedient Son was obedient so that He would never lose you. And that you would be His forever. You are safe and secure in the grip of the sovereign Son of God who was obedient to the very end and who who has said, I will never lose you. And so having failed all three times, Luke simply says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The devil had attempted to drive a a wedge to rip the son away from his father. But this obedient son clung to his father for dear life in faith and obedience. And friends, I think it's important for us to acknowledge something, and that's that this protective love of the Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, this hope of these promises that will be fulfilled for us, and even this tender and loving care that our God extends is not for everyone. It's only for those who cling to the Lord Jesus in faith. And friends, if that, if that doesn't describe you, if you don't know this Lord Jesus as your perfection, this one who was tested and tried and found pure, then you're apart from those, that love. You're apart from that promise. In fact, the, the promise that our God extends to you is this. That there will come a day where you will be tested as the Lord Jesus was tested. And you will be tested against His perfection. Whether or not you stand the test will depend completely on your ability to perfectly obey God's law. 
and you will be tested, and you will be tried, and you will be found wanting. And the promise that he reserves for you is his outpoured wrath for all eternity. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Beloved, the Lord Jesus, this very one who came for us to know us, came to bring us to this heavenly and loving Father. And so if we put our hope and trust in Him, He has borne that wrath for us that we might know the love of our God and Father for all eternity. So for us who are clinging to that Christ, beloved, God is pleased to unite us to Him in His perfect obedience that He may be well pleased in us and that we might glorify and enjoy Him forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for Your perfect love for us. Thank You for Your love that we certainly don't deserve, and yet You extend it to us because You are a gracious and merciful Father. And oh God, Your, your wisdom is so wise that you would even send your son to, to know us, to feel our pain, to feel our weakness, and to prove that only with your precious son could we be found righteous, only by his perfection. In the midst of the suffering that we experience, could he be proven to be faithful. And so we thank you for him. Lord Jesus, thank you for enduring that on our behalf. And oh, Holy Spirit, would you work that faith in us? Help us to trust our Father. Help us to not intend to live independently from your love, but let us be dependent and pant for that love day after day. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, we